Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. I want to welcome all of you that are watching online right now. I was talking to the group that's here, and uh, you interrupted us, so that's okay. Um, thanks for joining us. Those of you in the room, if you'd like the notes from this evening, um, they'll be emailed to you tomorrow. Uh, Vanessa Zero will get those over to you. Um, those of you watching online, if you're interested, you can email uh, Vanessa at Vanessa at summitpa.church from our website. If you'd like the notes, we'd be happy to get those to you. So those of you here in the room, if you don't mind, you can sign in and pass this around. Thanks, Mark. So it's good to see you. Um, I've been on a staycation for the last week or so and haven't been around. Uh, team did a great job this weekend, and, um, and I came off of my staycation temporarily for leadership night tonight because I did not want to cancel three months in a row. <laughs> I just felt like that was too much. So July we canceled because uh, it was July the 4th, the first week of July, and wanted to give everybody a break, and I needed a break. And then in August, we were going to be back, but um, when my father-in-law passed away, Kim had to stay in Texas, and... I had to take Abby to college in Florida. And so I was flying back from Florida uh, when we would have normally done leadership night in August. And so that's why we're doing it tonight. But I appreciate you being here, appreciate you being a part. Um, So if you're new to leadership night, basically we talk through a leadership principle for about 25, 30 minutes, and then we'll just do some Q&A together. And some of it will be questions and I might answer some of it. Some of it might be answers from in the room. Uh, and Michael, are we going to do any online tonight if there are online questions? Okay. So those of you watching online, if you want to ask some questions as we're getting through this, make sure you, uh, you ask those and we will do our best to get to those, um, as we can. So let me just jump right in and I'll pray and then we'll get started. Um, God, thanks so much for this evening, the time we've got together. I pray you would bless our time, God. Whatever we have brought into this place, whatever's going on in our lives, I pray that over the next hour, we're just gonna be able to set those things aside. Uh, we're gonna be able to focus on um, growing our leadership and becoming the, the parents, becoming the bosses, becoming the, the spouses, whatever it is, whatever area we need to lead in, God, empower us to lead better. So God, I pray that you would, um, you'd work in us in ways that, that we can't fix on our own. So Lord, have your way with us. Speak life in and through us. And I pray you be glorified in our time. In Christ's name, amen. So as a leader, um, as a pastor, I get the question a lot, uh, Mel, is, are, are things ever gonna get back to normal? And it's hard to remember um, like February 2020, right? Like before COVID came along and life changed and world changed, um, but we see some signs here and there in our world that like, oh, maybe things are getting back to normal. Like I fly a lot. And um, when I could get back on a plane without a mask, like that was a great day. I really enjoyed that. It was nice, right? And part of it was I don't have to sit on a, you know, six hour flight, you know, layovers, whatever with a mask on. But part of it was just the idea that, okay, maybe things are starting to get back to normal, but there's still this sense in our world that things have not gotten back to normal, Um, that things just still feel a little bit off and maybe you feel like things are fine and not an issue at all, but there are a lot of people in our world that, that feel like things still aren't normal. And we've talked a lot about this in churches and when I talk to other pastors, even when I talk to business leaders, I'll talk to them and they'll say, man, it's just weird. It's different. 
now than it was before COVID. Um, we see this in different places. Maybe it's, you see it in the job market, or at least here around Indiana. Have you noticed how many help wanted signs there are in businesses, uh, in their windows? Um, every, virtually every business leader in our church, every store manager I know is looking for people. There are restaurants that used to be open six days a week that now are open three days a week. And the primary culprit is we don't have enough help. Um, even the glorious Popeye's chicken here in Indiana, they delayed opening because they didn't have enough workers. They didn't have enough people. Um, and if I was going to work fast food, it would be Popeye's. Have you had their red beans and rice? I'm telling you, like that is going to be served at the marriage supper of the lamb. It's so good. So people are struggling to find help. And then we look at the church and in our church, um, let me just pull back the curtain a little bit. Um, our numbers, uh, we've had about 70% of our pre-COVID attendance has come back to church. Uh, that means about 30% has not, but a significant number of the 70% we have were not part of our church before COVID. So what we see is that, that only about half of our church has actually come back to church. Um, let me take it a step further even. Among our leaders and volunteers and dream teams, what we call them here at Summit, in our church, um, at one point we'd seen about 30% of our pre-COVID uh, dream team came back. And so this issue is not just a church issue. It's not just a world issue. There's something bigger going on. And I was having a conversation with a pastor friend of mine about a month and a half ago or so, and we were talking about this issue. And he said, he used a word that I had not heard used in this context, which makes a lot of sense. And he said, Mel, I just feel like my people are demoralized. And it was like a light bulb went on for me. It was like, oh my gosh, I feel like that's what it is. And the more I started thinking about it and praying about it, the more I felt like, this is where a lot of people are. Um, if you look at the word demoralize, just the textbook definition, it's an adjective that just means having lost confidence or hope disheartened. And it's shocking how many people I know that have lost confidence or hope or just generally disheartened. Um, I was talking to my counselor, that, uh, and I go see a counselor about every four, five, six weeks. Uh, it's just a regular routine for me that helps my heart stay healthy, helps my emotions stay healthy. And... Um, and he asked me about, I don't know, six, six months or so ago, he said, how are you doing? And I said, um, subjectively, I'm doing really well. And I said, objectively, not as good as I would like to be. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, compared to the people I'm around, I'm excellent. But I think everybody is just a little bit disheartened. Nobody is at the level they should be. Everybody's level of uh, energy, enthusiasm, hope, all these things have drifted down instead of moving up. And I think generally speaking, our world is demoralized. Um, another definition for demoralized is to cause to turn aside or away from what is good or true or morally right, to corrupt the morals of, uh, to weaken the morale. So when we think about morale, I'm a movie guy, I love movies. And, and I've seen so many war movies where in the movie, uh, things, the, the tide seems to be turning against um, one side of the conflict. And they'll say something like, our men have lost their morale. And what they're saying is their will to fight is just not what it was before. And as a result, we are losing the fight. See, if, if you have people on your team that have high morale, um, in your department, in your company, in your, in your family, whatever it is, people that have high morale will show up to work early they will stay at work late. People who have high morale will go the extra mile. They are excited about what's going on and they're excited about the future. 
And what we're experiencing now is the opposite of that because so many companies are struggling to get people to come back to work from home. Like, well, you've been letting me work from home for the last three years. And they're like, yeah, but you've, you're 40% as effective as you were when you're in the office. So we need you to come back. And a lot of people are quitting rather than coming back to the office. And part of that is because they've been home, they've gotten used to it. They want to do the minimum instead of the maximum. And so I think we see this in our departments. We see this in our churches because uh, the vast majority of churches in our area, the attendance is down. Volunteerism is down. And what is the answer? I really do believe people are demoralized. Uh, they've lost their morale. Their morale has been weakened. And as a result, it's kind of thrown our world into disorder. It's thrown our businesses. It's thrown our departments. It's thrown our homes sometimes into disorder. So let me do two things. The first thing I want to do is talk about how do we help our teams? How do we help our people that might feel demoralized? Because this is the thing. Maybe that's not everybody on your team or everybody in your department or everybody in your company, but I promise you there are several people that feel this way. Uh, and maybe you do. And so the first thing we're going to do is talk about how do we help people who may be on your team and they're demoralized. Uh, they've lost hope for the future. They've They've just gotten stuck. So how do we help them? And the second part of this is talking about you. What do you do if you feel this way? Um, because your department, your company, your organization, it will follow you. And so if you are demoralized, your organization's gonna be demoralized as well. Uh, you cannot fake it very long before people can see the truth. So let me start with this. What are some ways we can help people who feel demoralized? And I listed a few, but we can talk through some more. So, so the first one I said is this, cast a clear vision, um, and everything comes back to vision, but cast a clear vision. And uh, this feels like we shouldn't have to spend a lot of time talking about it, but, but vision becomes even more important when things are rough. Um, because when things are good, the vision is almost a, a, an afterthought. But when things are not good, when things are difficult, that's when you have to be even more clear about the vision than before. Um, and there are some organizations, and, I, and granted, the church is going to be different than uh, a business. So in a business, um, for two years, I worked as a corporate recruiter. And I would talk to clients. So they would pay me to help them find an employee, a certain kind of employee. And I would, um, sometimes I would work with sales organizations and they would say things like, hey, let's, we're looking for someone who's money motivated. And I, they used to drive me crazy. And I'd be like, okay, I get what you're saying, but that's, that's insufficient because no one is truly money motivated. Um, I don't know anybody that really is money motivated. Now, they might be motivated to earn money so that they can retire at 35, but their motivation isn't money. Their motivation is, I want to retire when I'm 35. Or they, they might want to earn a specific amount of money so that they can put their kids through college debt-free, but the motivation is not money. The motivation is I want to put my kids through college debt-free. Does that make sense? And so even if you are leading people who are paid to be there, the motivation is never the dollar. Because if the motivation is the dollar, then somebody else is going to motivate, that, motivate them with more dollars at some point. And you're going to lose them because somebody else can give them a better signing bonus or whatever it is. So this is where it can't just be about the dollars. The, the vision has to be connected to their heart. And so you have to help people understand, hey, this is how the, the vision of this organization 
benefits you personally. This is how the vision of this organization helps you get to where you wanna go. When you help the organization, the organization is helping you, and this is how this works, and this is the win-win. This is how you can do well here. Um, that it's not just about dollars and cents. So we have to cast a clear vision. Here's where we're going. Here's why what we're doing matters. And this is hard. When I worked uh, for the company I worked for as a recruiter, we would, we would hear from the higher-ups in our organization all the time about, hey, we're not just placing employees, we're helping them find a better future. And it was like, yeah, but I know what you really want is how much money I'm bringing in every month. Like, I get that. But their language was, we're helping employees find a better future, right? We're helping them improve their lives. And this is the vision that they were giving us. And I knew that that's not really what it was about, but there was something to this. Uh, when we help place somebody in a job where they got a 50% pay raise uh, and the employer was thrilled and the job seeker was thrilled, like that's a win-win and I got paid. It was great, right? And they, it made them happy. And so helping us understand there's more to this than just dollars goes a long way. Um, and organizations like the church, it should be easier to cast vision for what's really important and what really matters. But even in your department, in your family, I would encourage you, even in your family, have a vision. Like, why do we exist as a family? Um, you know, what are we about? And clarify that uh, because it's important, especially when things are not good and firing on all cylinders. Second thing is this, encourage your team specifically. Um, it's one thing in a group, if I had all of you on my team and I'm like, you guys are doing a great job, good job, keep it up. Okay, that's better than you all suck, right? You're all terrible, I should fire you all, but like we'd rather hear we're doing good, but that is not real encouragement. What Katie might need to hear is, Katie, I think you're doing a really good job leading the volunteers and our dream team in Blairsville. Man, you're doing a wonderful job with that. Now, that is true, I'd really believe that, but even in that moment when this is put on for this room, it probably still does something in Katie. Psychologically, the the brain is still firing off the right kind of chemicals to give us the, the enjoyment, the release, all those things, right? And so there's something about telling somebody specifically what they're doing, how they're doing it, um, that it's not enough just to encourage people. We have to be specific with our encouragement and, and speak life into them specifically. Uh, third thing is acknowledge their hard work. Here's the thing, uh, and I've talked to our staff about this several times. Like, our staff feels a certain way. A lot of our staff feels demoralized to some level or another, just like a lot of you do. And I've told them, the people you are leading, your teams, uh, the people in our congregation, a lot of them feel this way too. Um, and so you are doing important work. You're doing valuable work. I acknowledge what you're doing is really, really difficult. I see that and I know that and I want you to know I see that. Because there's something about just somebody empathizing with us and going, I see what you're doing and what you're doing is important. I know what you're doing is really hard that matters to us, it impacts us. And so it's important for us to acknowledge that people are working really hard in spite of what they're feeling at times. The fourth thing is this, maintain high standards. Uh, when things are difficult, it's easy to lower our standards and go, well, people are having a hard time, so we're, we're gonna drop our excellence level. And yeah, we, we used to do it this way, we don't need to do it that way anymore, it's no big deal. Um, but that only, in my opinion, only furthers the demoralization. Um, and so I would encourage you, in, as far as you can, maintain really high levels of expectation. Uh, don't drop the levels of expectation for your team um, because that will only add to the snowball. So let me stop there for a second. 
Are there anything, anything you would want to add if you were talking through this? How do we lead people or help people on your team who feel demoralized? Is there anything you would add to that and say, hey, you know what, what about? Or, hey, I would add this. Or, hey, have you thought about? Or even if you have a question about one of those four things, I would love to talk through that for a few minutes here. Yeah. For the last one that you said to maintain high standards, I feel like oftentimes if I'm like, trying to pace with my team or I'm just pacing with someone in general that people give up so quickly and then have an excuse for it. And there's often like a valid excuse. So my brain just works differently. And I don't know. I feel like oftentimes other people are giving up and I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm not giving up. So how do I encourage them without being like, just do what I'm doing? Yeah. You know? Well, okay. And this is not meant as flattery. Um, but a lot of times people who are high achievers are bad coaches. Like Michael Jordan was a really bad general manager. Um, even in his time with the Washington Wizards, he was a player, but his, part of his role was to help coach the other players on the team. And, and he was frustrated and they were frustrated because there were a lot of times he would just say, well, do what I'm doing. And they're like, you are Michael Jordan, right? <laughs> like <laughs> you've got an unfair advantage. And uh, Larry Bird was a successful coach but that was a little different for him. So I think a lot of times people who are successful have a hard time coaching because sometimes they don't know what they're doing to get themselves there. They're just working really hard and there's some natural things. And so some of it, there might not be an answer to. Uh, But this is where I would always go back. I would keep going back to vision, the why. If your why is big enough, then you can figure out a way, right? And so this is where I would keep going back to the why. Well, okay, why did you get involved in this business in the first place? Uh, What motivated you then? Because what motivated them then is what should be able to carry them now. Again, if their why is big enough. Um, and so I would just keep going back to the vision over and over and over and over and over. Um, well, hey, I know you started this business because you wanted to make extra money to whatever, pay off debt. Has your debt paid off? Well, it's not. Well, hey, let me help you. And those would be some of the things I might think through. Okay. That's a good question. Yeah, you just pass it over to Katie. Yeah. Um, how, do you have any tips for suggestions for leading and helping people not feel demoralized when you yourself potentially feel demoralized asking for a friend? <laughs> um, I, think, I think it's really important. I mean, we've talked about the, the value of being, um, being vulnerable without being totally transparent about everything. And I think that's where you can be honest. Sometimes we think we gotta be the superhero and we're like, nothing ever bothers me. I've always got the answers. No problem, we got this. And there's a place for that, but I think there's also... Um, there's also a lot of value in saying like when we acknowledge, hey, I I acknowledge, I see what you're doing. You're working really hard. I'm exhausted too. And I'm worn out too. And man, we're gonna get through this though. Like, I don't know what the answers are exactly. Like there's value in being vulnerable in that way and saying, hey, I know what you're going through because I'm going through it too. Um, And we're gonna push through and we're gonna be okay. You know, you attach vision to it. We're gonna make it through, but I acknowledge this is hard and and I'm feeling it the same way. I I think there's value in that. Um, and we'll, we'll get in just a minute, just some things, some practices you can do that I think will help you kind of, um, well, I I think what's happened for a lot of us is we've become untethered from, um, truth, maybe like the truth of who we are and not to get too biblical about this, but like the truth of who God is even. And so things feel, um, chaotic in our world. And so I think there's some things we'll be able to talk about in just a second that will help tether us back to what is true and what's real. And, and I think that 
you know, it's the thing on the airplane, right? Like if you're with your daughter on the plane, you don't, you don't put their mask on first, you put your mask on first. And so I think if you're healthier, your team will be healthier. Your organization will be healthier. So I think that's the first thing you do is work on you. Good question though. Anything you guys would add to those four things about things we do to help our teams when they feel demoralized? That was the exhaustive list I came up with, I guess. That's okay. Let me jump in. We'll come back to this. Let me jump into what we can do as leaders. So if you are someone who's feeling like, man, I'm struggling with this right now. Like this is where I'm kind of at. I get it. And and I want you to know you're not alone. Um, I, I would venture to guess most of the world feels this way. Um, more than probably would admit. And maybe there's people that feel this way, but they just don't recognize that they feel that way. They're like, oh yeah, I do kind of feel like that. Um, so let me just jump in. The first thing, and some of these are admittedly are a little Oprah-ish, but um, the first thing I would say is this, remember who you are. Um, remember what you're about. Remember what your identity is. Um, who has God called you to be? Again, in the churchy sense, what has God called you to be? Who's he called you to be? Um, For some of you, it's a parent, it's a dad or a mom, it's an employee, it's a boss, whatever it is. All those roles have different values and have different value systems attached to them. Um, All of them have different callings, again, to use kind of a church word. But but this is where... um, we have to keep going back to like, oh yeah, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. As a parent, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, as, as a pastor, as a boss, as a whatever it is, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Here's why I've been put in this position. Um, and when we remind ourselves who we are and what our values and morals are that are connected to that, I think it helps us stay, stay moored to something. Because again, the world we live in feels very chaotic. Um, I was talking to Michael before we started. Does anybody remember like the end of March, 2020? The end of March, 2020 was insane. Um, like I, I look at some of my thinking and my behavior in hindsight, and I'm like, I was nuts um, because the world was weird. You know, we didn't know like, of the population might be dead from COVID. We didn't know. That's what the news was saying. We have no idea, but it could be really bad. I remember the first time I went to Giant Eagle after the pandemic happened, and I was like, okay, here's what I need. I need these four things. And I went in, and I didn't get a cart because, you know, who knows what might be on that cart. I mean, honestly, there's probably worse things on the cart than COVID, by the way. And so I went into the grocery store, and I got my box off the shelf. I didn't touch any other boxes. I get, you know, I would get my stuff and I would take it home because we didn't know. Now that behavior didn't last very long. Um, but there was behaviors we had then that, that somehow has transcended and stuck with us. And I think remembering who we are, remembering, um, the, the calling that's on our life, what we're about, why we do what we do helps us get past some of that kind of chaos in our world. So I would say, remember who you are. Hey, this is what I'm about. This is why I exist. This is why I'm on planet earth. Um, it's to be a mom, to be a dad, to whatever it is. I think that will help us. The second thing is this, stop avoiding and start moving. So um, most of us have a natural tendency when things seem to be going bad to shut down to some degree or another. Now, some people don't. There's a percentage of people that when things are going bad, it triggers something in them and they go into high motion and we're gonna fix it, we're gonna get it. And that's awesome. That's not the the majority of the population. Most of the population, when things are bad, um, 
we, we want to hide. We want to pull the covers over our head. We want to stay in bed. Um, how many of you on Monday, you slept a little later because it was raining outside. It was a perfect day to sleep in and lay on the couch and watch a movie or something like that, right? Like, because it was just motivation. And emotionally, this is what happens when things are going bad. When we are demoralized, it's this thing in our heart that says, pull the covers over your head. Um, you don't need to go into action. You need to stop, stop moving. You need to avoid, you need to put your head in the sand, that kind of thing. And, and this is where I'd say you need to resist that. You need to stop avoiding and start moving. You need to do something. Get motivated, get action, go forward, do something active. Um, and again, it's amazing how, um, it's amazing how good I feel when I accomplish something. Um, in, in the church world especially, I tell our staff, we do things all the time we don't see the results from. Like, figuratively speaking, we're planting seeds that we may never see the harvest from. And that, that can be demoralizing in and of itself after a while. And so that's why, for me, it's important to do things that I see the results of. Like, I'm on my staycation. I have worked on my Jeep a couple for a few days. And I have, uh, today I put brakes on my wife's car. And like, those are things that at the end of it, I go, look what I did. I did something. And the thing I did today might cause my wife to get into a horrible accident, but we'll see. Um, I've got her life insurance paid up in full. So we're fine. Um, but I get active. I could see things that I've accomplished. Okay, I've gotten this done. This were for you and your world, you need to say, okay, I need to get things done. Uh, I, need, I need to check some things off the list. I need to get moving so that I don't just avoid. And I would say even with little things, get moving and stop avoiding. Uh, the third thing is this. Um, do what you can. You, you can't do everything, but do what you can. Um, Biblically speaking, I would say that God fills in the gap for what we can't do. Um, but there, there are a couple different brain networks that, that we have. One is pathways and one is agency. The pathways deal with the envisioned desired future, like um, dreaming about uh, losing weight or, um, or getting debt paid off or whatever it might be. Like, here's my envisioned future. Okay, so that's your pathways. Um, but then your agency deals with um, the motivation and the discipline to actually see those things happen. So this is where the YMCA makes all their money because you have people at the end of the year that are like, I'm envisioning getting healthy this year. And they go and they pay their sign-up fee and they will join the, the we'll do the family program because my whole family's coming to the gym every day. And they sign up and they pay their fees and they diligently go to the gym six times because they've envisioned it, but the motivation stops, the dedication stops, the agency peters out on them. And both these things are really important and they're necessary in order for us to see the things happen in our life that we wanna see. And so this is where, we can't do everything, but what we can do, we need to be motivated. We need to be disciplined enough to say, well, I'm gonna go do them. I'm gonna get them done. Um, that we can't be happy with just envisioning what it could be. Uh, we have to have the agency to, to actually do what we can. Uh, the fourth thing is this, find your people and pursue them. Um, this is kind of basic, but um, when we are disheartened, when we are demoralized, we need people. We need people to come alongside us. We need people to encourage us. Um, we need people because when we're with people, we see that maybe our stuff is not as bad as we think it is. 
Um, this last weekend, um, I went to two different churches. On Saturday night, I went over to um, I went over to Cranberry Township to Victory Family Church. Uh, John Nuzzo is the pastor over there. If you guys are part of Summit, you recognize John because he's been here a bunch of times. And I went to church over there. Um, they didn't invite me to speak. Um, I didn't get an honorarium, nothing special. I just attended church. And then after church was over with, um, John invited me. He said, hey, you, you want to hang out with Michelle and I, his wife? And I was like, sure. And so I spent about an hour and a half with him after church, and we just talked, and we shared our lives, and I heard his heart, and he heard my heart, and we were able to just share together. And I drove three hours for about a, nine, uh, about a 60 minute service and a 90 minute just hangout session with John Nuzo. And it was 100% worth it. He didn't call me though and say, hey, would you please come hang out with me? Um, I had to pursue him and say, hey, is it okay with you if I come to church on Saturday night? Absolutely. And I didn't say, can we hang out afterwards? But I was 100% ready for him if he wanted me to. And so I pursued that relationship. And I think he would say he's better for it, but I know I would say I'm better for it. Um, and so sometimes we're waiting for people to bang down our door and go, hey, I wanna help you, or hey, I wanna be friends. Sometimes that happens, but more often than not, it's us going to people and going, hey, uh, do you wanna be friends? <laughs> do you wanna hang out? Hey, can I, I wanna pick your brain. Hey, I wanna, and sometimes you're gonna get said, told no, and that's okay. Um, but you're gonna hear yes sometimes too, and those yeses are gonna be worth it. Um, so find your people and then pursue them because you need it and they need it. Um, the other thing I realized this weekend is um, I went to a great church in, um, in Latrobe. It's called Charter Oak Church. It's a United Methodist Church, and the pastor there is a friend of mine, and so I just went and sat in their service and worshiped with them, and then we went to lunch, and I got to hear about some of the challenges he's having as a pastor just some of the stuff their church is dealing with. And it just helped me go, oh yeah, so maybe our challenges aren't as bad. And some of you are parents. Have you ever hung out with another parent and you hear about their kids' problems and you're like, oh my gosh, my kids are awesome, right? It's the same thing. You need those relationships. Sometimes it's for encouragement. Sometimes it's just to remind you, man, maybe your stuff is not as bad as you think it is. Fourth thing is this, oh no, fifth thing is this. Be mindful of your thoughts and emotions. I mentioned earlier that I, I go to see a counselor and this is one of the most valuable things my counselor has done for me is just help me be more aware of what I'm feeling and why I'm feeling it. Um, and as a leader, it's supremely important. As a parent, uh, it's supremely important for you to understand why you feel what you're feeling and why you're doing what you're doing. Because if you can understand your motivation with those things, your thoughts and emotions, um, it'll help you diffuse some bombs before they go off. It'll help you um, avoid some problems before they happen in your life. Um, when we are stressed, and I think our world has been in a, in a kind of a perpetual state of stress for the last couple of years, when we are stressed and operating in stress, the prefrontal cortex in our brain, um, which is the part of our brain that, that is responsible for planning and organization and things like that, it is not working correctly. It breaks down. Um, and because of that, things get messy. And when we can be aware of what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and we can, um, the Bible says we take captive every thought, but when we can do this, it's amazing how much better we feel. Um, 
I've got this Apple watch and it's bossy. It tells me several times a day to breathe. You need to breathe. And I've started doing it. And it's amazing how much better I feel when I just take a minute and I take some deep breaths and I try to relax. I just feel better. Um, And so maybe it's something as simple as just breathing deeply. Maybe it's something as simple as taking two minutes to to stop whatever you're doing and pray. Um, Whatever it is, we just need to be more aware of our thoughts and emotions. Um, Because a lot of times what we do is we just try to ignore. We're busy, we're leading, we gotta get stuff done, let's go. Um, But it's important for us to be aware of it and then respond to it, do something about it. Um, I normally don't share scripture with you on leadership night. Uh, is it okay if I share scripture with you tonight? Can I do that? I mean, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do whatever I want anyway. Okay. So here's, here's a passage. It's from Psalm 57. Um, and I would encourage you to go back and read it later. Uh, this Psalm was written by David. David if you're not familiar with the story of David, David was anointed as the king at a very young age, uh, future king of Israel. Uh, he went back to being a shepherd for his dad. Um, he slew Goliath. He showed up and killed Goliath in the Valley of Allah. He, um, he got moved up the rungs in the Israelite kingdom. Um, he eventually became the worship leader for the king where he would play music to make the king feel better. Um, But after a long series of events, he was on the run for his life. The king became jealous of him. He was trying to kill him. And so all the things that David thought he was going to have, he thought he would be king. He thought he would be in power. He thought he would be the leader. And now he's not. He finds himself in the the cave of Adullam. and he's isolated and his dreams seem to be shattered and he's feeling hopeless. Um, and he writes several Psalms from Adullam, but the, this one in particular, I wanted to share with you. It's Psalm 57 and he says this, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadows of your wings until the danger passes by. So we see immediately like he's in a bad place, right? I cry out to God most high, to God, who will fulfill his purpose for me. Now notice what he says. He doesn't say who has fulfilled his purpose for me. He's in the middle of this mess. Uh, his situation is not working out very well. I think you could say he's probably demoralized. And he says, but God, I'm believing that you will work the situation out for me. I, I'm, I'm, I have faith and I'm trusting and I'm hoping that you will do what you have said you were going to do. He never says I'm satisfied with where I'm at. I'm satisfied in this cave. He goes on saying verse three. He will send help from heaven to rescue me. Again, he doesn't say he has sent or he is sending. He will. At some point, he will rescue me from this place. So he he fully acknowledges, like we were talking about a minute ago, Christy, he acknowledges like, hey, this stinks. I don't want to be here, but this is where I'm at. And I think it's okay for us as leaders to say, hey guys, hey, our our sales are down. Business is down, but it's not going to stay like this. It is going to get better. So he's talking about the future, what is to come. This is vision, right? God's got, he's got a vision for his life. God is going to do something in my life. It's going to get better. It's not going to stay this way. He says, my God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. Again, all this is future. God is going to do it. I can trust in that. And he says this in verse four, I'm surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human, uh, devour human prey. 
whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows and whose tongues cut like sword. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. So again, he acknowledges the situation I'm in, but, um, but he's also determining what he's going to do. He's saying, I'm choosing to worship in spite of this. And so for those, I know some of you that are watching online or, or you're listening to this podcast later, you might not be very religious and that's okay. Um, but in the church context, this is where I would say we worship our way through these issues. We get, say, God, I'm gonna keep worshiping no matter what the circumstances or situation looks like. He says, God, I'm gonna keep worshiping you. I'm gonna keep going after you. Verse six says, my enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. Like, this is where we're at. This is where our world is. Our world is weary from distress. And he says, they have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. So he says, I can sing praises because my heart is confident in you. The word heart here in the, in the Hebrew, it's leib is the word. Um, and it really means soul is another way you might describe it. Um, he's talking about the way like the soul encompasses um, his emotions and the way he thinks. So he says, my soul, my emotions, my, my mind is confident. But the word confident, it's a Hebrew word, kun. It's K-W-O-N phonetically in, in the English. And it means to be firm or stable um, or established. So what he's saying is my emotions and my mind are firm. And this is so important when everything feels chaotic for us to say, hey, I'm not gonna let my emotions be dictated by the world around me. I'm not gonna let my thinking be dictated by the world around me. He says, my, my emotions, my thinking is firm in you, oh God. And he says, no wonder I can sing your praise. So I'm not gonna respond like everybody else is responding because the way I'm thinking and the way I'm responding emotionally is firm, it's secured, it's tethered to something that's permanent. And for us, it would be a relationship with God. He goes on to say this, wake up my heart, wake up, O lyre and harp. So he's talking about these instruments. He's saying, wake up, hey, my soul has been asleep, my heart has been asleep, but wake up, my heart is what he's saying. I will wake up the dawn with my song, I'll thank the Lord among all the people, I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is as high as the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God. Above the highest heavens, may your glory shine over all the earth. Again, he hasn't seen the good things happen, but he's believing the good things are going to happen. He's saying, God, I know who you are. God, I know who I am, who I'm supposed to be. I'm, I'm anchoring myself in the permanence of you, and it's gonna change the way I think and the way I respond emotionally to the situations going on. And I really do believe if we as leaders can do that, um, it's going to help pull our people out of the place of demoralization. Um, as we are pulling ourselves out and, and God is pulling us out of that, I think our teams and our people and our, the people we're leading, our families will be pulled out of that demoralization as well. So normally I don't preach. I kind of preach to you tonight. And uh, if you didn't like that, then don't come back on Sunday or Saturday. <laughs> so that's okay. So do we have any questions or thoughts or comments Maybe we want to go back to the first part and talk about the ways we can help our teams if they feel demoralized or talk a little bit more through the things I shared for you guys personally if we're dealing with demoralization. Uh, when you're vision casting, mm -hmm. how often do you feel like you're being rude or insensitive? Mm, be more specific. Like let's say you're vision casting to someone who's demoralized or you're yeah. trying to say, 
like, hey, I want you to go do these things because it supports this vision, then you know that making them go do those things is going to expose them to discomfort because a demoralized person is probably going to be uncomfortable with a lot of things. Do you feel like you have to overcome the sensation of, well, I just want to be nice to this person, I just want to be kind to this person, and what I'm about to tell them is going to subject them to... Yeah, yeah, and that's a good question. I think some of it, um, like as the pastor or the boss... I have a paternal view of the people that I'm leading. Like, I, they're not just my employees. Like, I love them like I'm their dad, even though, like, Pastor Dick is old enough to be my dad, right? But I love them like I'm responsible for them as their father. And sometimes parents have to lead their children through pain in order to get them to the best possible solution. So, like... um like Abby, she busted her head open when she was three and we had to take her in to get her staples. And that was not an enjoyable experience for her to get staples in her head. It was even less enjoyable to get the staples out of her head. But I had to subject her to pain in order to help her have the best possible outcome. And so I think if, if we remind ourselves like, hey, they're not gonna like this, but it's gonna lead them to something better. Um, and that's where it, it can't just be about the organization because a lot of times people aren't motivated by the organization. They're motivated by their own personal um, wins or losses, right? And so that's where, you know, I was talking to, to Christy earlier about it has to come back to, hey, this is how it benefits you too. It's not just about, hey, you need to do this so the organization can be better. Hey, you need to work longer hours so our, we can increase our profit margins. No, 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 we have to keep going back to, and this is, this is what it's doing in you. And we feel like this is what could happen in you when you, does that make sense? Yeah, do you have to navigate the fear of them quitting or do you use it as a filter mechanism to like not have to work with the ones who are would quit under demoralization? Well, I mean, I never want to run people off, but at the same time, I don't want to handle anybody with kid gloves because I'm afraid they might leave us. Um, nobody in our organization, even including me, is so important that the organization couldn't survive their loss. So... This is where I want to treat people fairly and honestly and lovingly, but if they, if they self-select out because we've maintained high standards and they don't want to live up to those standards or do what, then okay, that's okay. Uh, I can live with that. So I would rather not have those people on our team than have people that have to be catered to. That sounds horrible, but does that make sense? This could be like a last part to that question, but say outside of, Summit's organization, say you have like a different organization that actually has people in there that they cannot go without, and that's a structural yeah. problem that has resulted in them needing to depend on a single individual. How should a boss like go about fixing that so that they don't have to be in that kind of vulnerability? Uh, there's a good chance they probably put themselves in that position. Um, one way or the other, and that's where I would say I would probably start looking for that person's replacement right then. Um, because <laughs> if you are so dependent on somebody that if they left or didn't leave, that's what dictated your success as the leader, then um, you're not the boss anymore. They're the boss. Does that make sense? And so that's where it's like, hey, I've let them have too much leeway or, hey, I gave them too much rope and for our freedom and now I've got to take some of that freedom back. I mean, every organization I know was letting people work from home during COVID. And I think a lot of organizations are like, ooh, we shouldn't have done that because people aren't as productive at home for the most part as they are in the office. So now we've given them this freedom and we're trying to take the freedom back and now it's problematic for a lot of organizations because they're losing people. They're going, well, fine, I'll quit. 
And now they're losing a third of their workforce sometimes. So I think it comes back to as leaders, we've gotta be conscientious about how much freedom we give people. Um, we can't do something that we can't undo. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's good. I'm kind of curious, if you're, if you're trying to help somebody see how, if you try to motivate someone and help them see how, what they're gonna do benefits them, but advancement in pay is not in your scope, mm -hmm. like what do you work with there? Well, and I, I think you can be honest about that too and say, hey, it's not up to me but here's what I know of our organization, that if you work hard and you hit your goals and you, you know, that they want to promote people, they want to move people forward. And unless that's a lie, if that's not the case in your organization, I wouldn't say that. But I think you can, you can still motivate with those things, even if it's beyond your control by saying, hey, here's what I've seen in our organization, um, that high achievers get promoted and move on and have more responsibility and people who don't, don't. Um, and if that's not the case, then just beg them, please, please work harder. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> please, please. I'm not gonna get bonused if you don't work harder. That, that's good too, guilt works. No, I think I would probably try to help them see the bigger picture. You know, and maybe you leverage some of your personal, you know, in real, really large organizations, maybe that's where you go, hey, you know what? The CEO might never see this, but our team is gonna be better. You know, it's... The, relation, the immediate relationships are the one that matters for a lot of people in the organization. Um, it's kind of like, you know, in, in battle, you, you don't care about, like I've heard people say, I don't care about the United States of America. If I'm in a foxhole, I care about the people on either side of me. And that's kind of the, I mean, it's a crude illustration, but I think it's kind of the case that it's like, hey, so even if you can't motivate by pay raises and bonuses and promotion, maybe you can motivate by, hey, this is how it's impacting this team you know, the people you care about and work with every day. Comments. This isn't just questions. Comments, thoughts. Even if I dismissed right now, you guys aren't leaving. <laughs> it is raining way too hard. You're all gonna be standing in the lobby anyway, so. How do you articulate the difference between simplifying a process or making a process more efficient over against accepting a drop in quality. So to refine the question, um, some people have this perspective when it comes to automation. Uh, so if you automate a particular job, uh, there are people who out of principle would say that that product is going to be less excellent than if it had human hands working on it. But from my perspective, it just is the case that there are certain tasks that robots do better than humans. And so I think that there's something lost in that analysis. And so I wanna know how would you articulate the difference between being efficient versus like being lazy? Um, hmm. So let me, let me go back. Let me rewind past the uh, automation portion and just get back to the difference between being efficient and you, you said lazy, but... Yeah, so like the difference between simplifying a process, yeah. making it more yeah, yeah. simple, maybe more stable for that matter, versus making something complicated and extravagant and maybe artistic in areas where it doesn't need to be. Yeah, I think it comes back to the organization. Like, what is our end game? What is our end game as a department? Um, that's got to be the filter for that because some places, 
they're, they're gonna value efficiency over everything else. We just need to be more efficient. We need to get the price per piece down so we don't care if the quality is a little less. We gotta get cut three cents off every piece we produce. So, you know, they're gonna be fine with losing some excellence in that process. But then you got other organizations that are dramatically different that they don't care what the cost is. They just want it to be creative and excellent no matter what. And so I think the filter has to be, who, who, what is our organization all about? What are we supposed to be doing? Um, are we just trying to be efficient? Is it just about the, the, you know, the bottom line or is there something bigger that we're doing? And so again, nonprofits, churches, if we're just about, how much money did we have at the end of the year? Like, that's sad. Um, but, um, but I couldn't run a Fortune 500 company and say, we don't really care about how much money we ended up with at the end of the year, right? They've, they've, they've gotta be efficient. So I think it, it all depends on, yeah, your department, your organization, whatever it might be. We don't have to go to eight either, so Christy. I mean, Katie. I mean, Christy. Christy. Yeah, sorry. Keep, keep going back. Today. Sorry. It's sorry. Right. Um, I'm just curious if you know of any companies that, like, post-COVID, that they're, I mean, I know that they exist, but they're doing better and their employees are more plugged in and they're excited and, like, what do you think they're doing differently? I don't know. I've got a, I've got a good friend. Um, a good friend. I've got a friend in Dallas, Texas, and their church right now is probably the fastest growing church in America. Um, it's shocking how many people are coming to their church right now. And he will tell you, I have no idea what we're doing. They went through um, a succession during, like, after COVID. Um, so when churches came back, they went through a succession where the, the previous leader had been there for, the founding pastor had been there for 35 years or something, and they handed it off to, to Josh, and the church exploded. I mean, it's tens of thousands of people in growth. Uh, it's shocking what's, what's going on there. But he will tell you, I have no idea. Like, I can't tell you what we're doing or what we're doing different than we were doing before. And so, but those are, tend to be the outliers. Um, those are not, those are the exception that proves the rule. Um, most people, most churches, most companies are doing what we're doing. It's like, hey, we're doing fine. We're not dying. We're not hurting. But um, it's clear that we don't have the same amount of people engaged as we did before. And it's not as simple as just going, oh, well, we need to start doing this because uh, we've flipped lots of switches and you know, done lots of things. And employers in our community have done lots of things. I mean, I've seen sign-up bonuses at McDonald's, um, right? Like, hey, employment bonus of X amount. And with McDonald's is throwing out hiring bonuses, right? Like, you know, they're trying to figure this out. So... Yeah, I don't know that anybody really knows the answer to that. Um, and I'm a little dubious of the people that are doing well that say they know the answer because I don't think anybody really does. Okay. I know that's helpful. Yeah. yeah. Can I chime in? Yeah. I'm going to guess that um, from my personal perspective, I would say it starts with prayer. It's been occurring to me lately. I'm com coming from this from like a ministry mm -hmm perspective from being like a leader in ministry in the past and then Christy and I may be stumbling on to potential ministry in the future um, at IUP with mm -hmm. sororities. But so it's occurred to me recently that God may be able to do more with me if I would stay home and pray mm -hmm. and not think about how I could be effective in like ministry strategy. Yeah. Um, and so I just want to encourage everyone that I definitely think that Mm -hmm. obviously 
it starts with prayer. Absolutely. But I also don't run a Fortune 500 company. So yeah. Let me talk to my husband about that. But he's not <laughs> quite there, but. Um, no, I agree with that. And I think in the life of believers, that's where it has to begin and end. Like, um, it's shocking how many people I talk to that they're talking to me about their problems. And I'll, well, have you prayed about it? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess I have, yeah. It's like, I don't think you have if you're not really sure, right? And it's amazing how often we are dealing with problems and we're trying to fix our problems, but we don't actually commit these things to prayer. So yeah. Got a couple more minutes, anybody else? Do we have any online questions? No. How much of the demoralization would you say is a consequence of people focusing on global affairs and forsaking local <laughs> affairs and how do you get them to turn back towards the local and pay less attention to the global? Yeah, I don't think the, um, wow, they did not like that answer. <laughs> I don't think that the 24 hour news feed and staying connected to Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and be real and whatever other social media is out there. I don't think that's helpful for our psyche. Um, and I don't, I'm not advocating we bury our heads in the sand and avoid all that stuff, but I don't think it's helpful. Uh, okay, when, especially when we're demoralized, um, the, <laughs> the news focuses on the bad because that's what keeps people engaged. And so all we see is bad news. All we see is Oh, COVID's on the rise. Oh, war here. Oh, secrets. And this is happening and this is happening. And, and Donald Trump is evil and Democrats are evil. And this whole thing feels out of control. And so the more we see this stuff, the more that impacts our perception that things are out of control. When the whole time, at least for me as a believer, I keep going, coming back to, no, God is in control. Like the, the world is not spinning out of control. God is in control. And so you know, even if somebody is not a, a believer in Christ or a follower of Jesus, um, if there is something solid that they can anchor themselves to, it will help. And I think constant, constantly paying attention to that kind of stuff doesn't help us. I think it, it exasperates some of the things we're dealing with and feeling already, personally. On a churchy sense, like with David in the, the caves of Adul, mm -hmm. um, you know, not to spiritualize things, but... We can, it's, we're, we're still in church, so okay, I'm okay with so, that. Go ahead. So what part of like the, uh, let's say not the global church, but the American church, is God doing like, are you sensing that God is doing something like that? Or, or um, just as on the individual level, forget COVID, you know, you, yeah. you're going through something you thought something was going to be a certain way. I mean, it was working out, and then it just like David, it didn't. What part of that is on David's shoulders, and then what part of that is just God walking him through a process to be the person he needs to be to lead Israel yeah. to that place? Well, and it's everything is easier in hindsight, right? Like, I can look back at my life, and everything makes a lot more sense than it did in the moment when I was navigating it. And I think that's where a lot of people are. We're navigating this stuff and we're like, oh, this feels terrible and what's gonna happen and I don't know about and all these things. Um, but David didn't see at the time that was necessary for him to be able to become king. 
He was anointed as king as a, as a teenager. Um, and in order for him to become the king, he had to, he had to go to Adullam. Like this was a formative part of what would be his kingship someday, right? And so for us, sometimes we look at problems as just as obstacles. Like I just have to survive this or get through this in order to get to the other side. But sometimes we don't understand, hey, this might be part of the formative part of our lives that's helping us become whoever it is we're supposed to be. And I think even if we can look at it that way, it helps us, it helps us endure that stuff better, endure suffering, you know, whatever it is, however we want to classify that. But, um, but yeah, I think you asked the question, how much of it was on David and how much of it was, but I mean, yeah, I think it was both. I think it was David's responsibility to go, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And then to put everything fully on God, right? And to go, okay, now I'm really going to trust you. I'm not going to try to fix, fix this or figure it out, you know. Um, so I don't know. Does that make sense? That's a good question. Good question. I love that, like, I've preached several messages on that season of David's life, too. It's so interesting and fascinating to me. Um, yeah. Anything else? And we don't have to go to eight just to make me happy, I promise. If we're done early, we can be done early. You'll never hear a pastor say that. You'll never hear me say that on a weekend, so. Okay. Um, hey, I'm gonna stick around and feel free, you guys can stick around and visit when we're done. Um, and if you didn't get signed up, if you want the notes from our talk tonight, um, I'll have Vanessa send those over to you guys first thing in the morning, uh, those of you that want them. Uh, and obviously, if you're sharing this stuff with your team, they probably won't care as much about Psalm, uh, uh, Psalm 57 um, and some of that stuff, but that stuff will be in there as well, uh, even if it's just for your personal uh, review. But uh, let me pray, and then we'll cut you guys loose. Lord, thanks for the people that were here this evening. Thanks for the people that are watching online. Thanks for the people that are, that are listening to this um, podcast later on. I just pray your blessing on each of these groups, Lord, no matter what it is we're endeavoring to do, Lord, I pray that we would bring you glory. I pray that, um, that what we do as we lead in whatever capacity we're leading in, God, um, people would see you in and through us and that you'd be glorified. God, I pray a blessing on us as we leave tonight. And I pray that wherever it is we're going to, God, you would um, prepare our path and make it straight and, um, and you'd get all the glory for, for what you do. So God, have your way with us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Guys, I love you. Have a wonderful night. I'll see you this weekend.